0: And welcome to another episode of You're Wrong with me, David Harsani, and Molly Hemingway. Molly, how is it going?
1: It's going great. And it's great to be here with you. And I wish Wonder. in a way people could see the backdrop that I see. I love this backdrop for you. All of your books. You feel very you look like you're very comfortable where you are. I mean, look at that. That's great.
0: I, I-, I bought I bought this house probably because of the built-in bookshelves that were here.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
0: that was the, the the reason I bought the house.
1: I love it. Well, I'm glad people can't see my backdrop, which is a tad messy.
0: Yeah, but, you know, it's, it looks like the space of someone who's busy writing, forging public opinion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. You know. You know, I think it was uh, Buckley who said that that a neat office is the sign of a deranged mind, or something like that. So, <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: So anyway, okay. thank you,
0: thank you. My backdrop is is pretty good. Maybe one day we'll do a video a video podcast. Let people mm-hmm. see what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> anyway, I have uh, I have a number of things I want to talk about. Okay. Let's do it. So, Let's get going. Item, item one is, of course, uh, Hurricane Ian, which is seems to be pretty terrible. Uh, we don't really know yet you know, if there, you know, how many people have died, but one sheriff said maybe in the hundreds. I was,
1: I was hoping he was misquoted or mistaken because that is just horrifying to think about. I mean, seeing the pictures that came out when the storm first hit, it was very, very bad, but you realize like these are the areas where people are still able to take pictures. There are areas where maybe the destruction is so catastrophic that they couldn't even take videos, but I pray so much that these people, that the death and destruction is as limited as possible. And that um, all the people who are helping those who are trapped or in dire need of help, that they, um, that they will be safe and taken care of as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. And uh, hopefully, you know, obviously when a hurricane hits land and this one hit, I think as a category five, uh, you know, it loses some of its strength as it was, I thought maybe it hit a five. You said Okay, a four. I thought it was a four,
1: but okay. Either way, I mean, whatever
0: it was, it's a big a bad, one. bad, yeah.
1: slow moving, powerful hurricane.
0: Exactly, but it, lo- it lost some of its strength as it moved forward. And it was, uh, I think, downgraded to a one. So I'm hoping that that destruction, you know, uh, was mitigated and so on, but I will say, and I I actually hate getting involved in this, but you have to. Is that immediately you have all kinds of uh, politicians and and pundits exploiting tragedy for their political agenda? You know, uh, you know, with the climate, what I call demodernization of of society. I mean, that's what they want, and you know, the idea that we, you know. I, You remember probably when Al Gore, after Katrina, kept saying that we were, you know, that was the dawn of an age of, you know, super hurricanes, turbocharged hurricanes that were going to destroy everything. And that didn't happen for about 10 years, I think until 2016, there wasn't a Category 2 that hit Florida, right? This is, we we are not seeing higher frequency. We are not seeing stronger hurricanes. It's just simply a myth. And uh, yet, you know, we keep... Seeing people blaming like Ron DeSantis, like uh, I think Joy, Joy Behar did for the hurricane itself is this even if we implemented everything they wanted to, that hurricanes would simply stop existing or that they would not be category fours and fives just doesn't work that way.
1: So clearly we have more people living in Florida than ever before, more people living in coastal regions of Florida than ever before. So when hurricanes hit, the damage is profound. The the destruction is profound. But in that piece you wrote about people politicizing this, um, and actually I just first want to say I saw this Twitter account that said, guys, I think if we all pull together, we can really politicize this hurricane if we all do our part, you know, and it was kind of making fun of how everybody does that. But in your piece on this, I really appreciated how you mentioned that there's no evidence for this sort of climate change conspiracy theory that people have associated with hurricanes. You know, you you pointed out that from 1851 to 1860, there were 19 hurricanes that hit the mainland. From 2011 to 2020, there were 19 hurricanes. It averages about 18 hurricanes a decade. Um, this is fairly consistent. Ob- it, again, People are living. People are moving to Florida. They very much want to be there. That increased population is something that does make the costs of these hurricanes go up, and that's a real issue and it, a real issue for flood insurance and all these types of things as well. But um, people need to drop their their myths and their conspiracy theories and just deal with reality.
0: Well, yeah, obviously, because we have warning systems now that are better, and we have. Um better infrastructure and things like that the the death toll is usually lower certainly it's lower than it, it had been in the in the late 1800s early 1900s you'd see thousands of people dying from hurricanes all the time but the the cost you know and damage because of the density of the population obviously has gone up but i mean i've been making this argument for a long time the deaths from natural disasters were used to be very high. They have just simply plummeted over the last decades. And yet we keep hearing, you know, that we're in in the midst of a unprecedented climate crisis, which I just don't buy. And it's very difficult because obviously you're always going to have these natural disasters. You're going to have flooding in Pakistan. You're going to have hurricanes on the coast of Florida, and they will constantly just exploit them for, for, you know, on this issue. And it's difficult to push back especially when people are being hurt because it makes you sound like you don't really care about it or you're you're self-politicizing the issue which is just you know not true but you have to engage in the debate that that is in front of you at least that's what i think great so yeah issue 2 great. you wrote a piece um you wrote a, i think two pieces you know you wrote a couple of pieces i want to talk about one is about matt gates and the uh well you why don't you explain your piece uh so matt, Gaetz was, matt uh, gates was matt gates is a republican ancient-
1: congressman from florida and he's really colorful guy he's known for being on tv a lot he's a low you know it's kind of like a younger c- congressman but he gets a lot of airtime and in on friday the washington post announced that he would not be charged with any crime which Normally, wouldn't be news that someone is not charged with a crime, except in his case, it's huge news, because they, the Washington Post and the New York Times, had for about 18 months pushed this narrative that he was in danger of being charged with the most horrific crime imaginable, which is underage child sex trafficking and paying underage people for sex. This was put out in all of these papers of record, as they like to think of themselves, uh sourced to anonymous people with knowledge of the situation at the department of justice. And it absolutely destroyed his reputation. He was already kind of known for being somewhat of a libertine guy. So it was kind of an easy allegation to make. Um, He immediately came out and vehemently denied it in explicit detail, denied it uh, and claimed that he was actually the victim of an extortion attempt of his family. Well, it turned out that was true uh, someone was convicted of like a $25 million extortion plot related to this case. Uh, and now we have again sourced to anonymous people with knowledge of the situation at the Department of Justice that he's not even going to be charged with any crime, that there's nothing there. And it's important to think of this story in terms of what was accomplished through this mendacious leak against Gates. Uh, and it came out in March of 2021. And I think that's significant because prior to March 2021, Matt Gates was one of the Department of Justice's most prominent critics. He pushed back against their Russia collusion hoax when very few people had the courage to do so. He Was very quick when he was in committee hearings in terms of pushing back on witnesses and interrogating what they were saying, uh, all things related to the Russia collusion hoax during the first impeachment when Adam Schiff was holding secret hearings and then selectively leaking information about those hearings uh, Matt Gates led a posse of Republican congressmen to go protest outside the door of where these secret hearings were being held, and they listed all of their complaints about it, including their complaints that he, uh, that Schiff was not being truthful about his relationship with the whistleblower and how he had conspired with him at the front end of this, and it was a really important moment. And the goal of of Republicans at that time was to be unified against this impeachment and these types of actions, like what. Gates was courageously doing, helped keep literally every Republican except for Mitt Romney on board with the, uh, opposing the impeachment. He strongly denounced Liz Cheney's foreign policy interventionism. When she voted for impeachment, he went to Wyoming and led a rally to encourage voters to oust her, which they did 18 months later. And then after the January six riot, he within hours was defending concerns about election integrity and warning about overreach against the rioters, reminding Democrats and the media that they had supported left-wing riots throughout that preceding summer. Um, And so he was one of the few people warning about overreach against these rioters in March of 2021 when the allegations came out. And it completely took him off air he was he was um politically toxic, very few people defended him, although Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Green were three of the people who did defend him. Uh, and so it was a very effective operation and very scary that these types of things can happen.
0: Well, I think it's important to point out what he was doing when when this happened. That matters. But even if he was the biggest clown on earth, and even if he was wrong about everything, the idea it is an it's authoritarian for the for the for law enforcement to open up an investigation and then leak details to smear their political opponents. It's especially pernicious when you think about it in the context of everything else the FBI and prosecutors are up to these days. And at some point, you know, like my friend uh, Charlie Cook at National Review wrote recently, uh, you know, I think you have to start thinking about either really reigning in the FBI seriously or just dismantling the whole thing. It has been a corrupt organization from its founding. It was literally run like a, I don't know, like some, basically it could have, it could have performed coups against the government. I mean, it, it tried, you know, it, it spied on politicians It kept files on politicians. It has always, it was run by one man for countless decades and it is simply uh, still corrupt. Clearly. I don't know. I, I just it 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 really it kind
1: of blows me away how people forget the past of FBI involvement. You know the white. How
0: dare it. you impugn the integrity of the FBI that was run by a completely corrupt, m- maniacal man? Right. Yeah. My
1: my favorite thing is when the party of defund the police is like, "Oh, you're criticizing the FBI. I thought you liked the police." It's a very juvenile argument. Yeah. Although it is also true that public opinion polling while it has shown a dramatic slippage in respect for the FBI and department of justice, it still has pretty favorable numbers. So I don't know if everyone, everyone again, just forgets what they don't know, or if they have respect for some of these low level FBI agents that they might know relative oh, to I, the leadership. I
0: don't know. My theory is that there's sort of like has been a perfunctory admiration for the police, for the, institutions that have been around a long time and people actually want to trust these these institutions because it makes them feel like things are just out of control in this country because they can't but i don't know what you know how you can
1: for some reason reminds me that i used to go to a dollar movie theater with my brother who's just a year older than i am and it would show old movies and we came from a family that believed in interaction with the movie screen, which I realize is not something all people agree with. But in my family, we do that. And then we particularly would do it at the Dollar Theater. And my brother, every time the police would show up in a movie, he would always say, oh, good, the police. Because, of course, it was always like a corrupt officer or something like that. So I think that still to this day, when the police show up, I'm always like, oh, good, the police. (laughs)
0: I don't know. I, I think, you know, it's get. it's it's we're in, we're in a pretty bad position right now with all of this, because even if there were now today or tomorrow, some congressman who had who had engaged in whatever kind of criminality and the FBI showed up, I I wouldn't believe it. I just wouldn't. I would. It would be very hard for me to believe it wasn't politically motivated. And that is a huge problem for us.
1: Yeah, I'm reaching dangerous levels of not believing what I read from certain
0: outlets. It's not good. It is not, not good, not Bob. Good. Item three. Okay. We have another Molly Hemingway piece. GOP senators baffled by Mitt Romney's ploy to oust Mike Lee and maybe thwart a majority. So tell us about this one.
1: Yeah. So I've been picking up from various senators who I was talking to that they were growing more disappointed with their colleague Mitt Romney. So the scene in the Senate is one where they generally try to just respect each other and understand that each person is their own person. So when Mitt Romney earlier this year said he would not help out Mike Lee, his fellow senator from the state he claims to be from, Utah, it was weird, but it wasn't like a huge deal because Utah is a very safe Republican state, Plus, there was going to be this third party challenge by Evan McMullen, the never Trumper who ran in 2016. So he was, Mike Lee was really safe because you'd have a Democrat opponent and then an independent and then him. So he would have been fine. Well, then Democrats decided not to run anyone and endorse Evan McMullen. And then Mitt Romney, yeah, had said, I'm not going to get involved. I am too close of friends with people in this race, which was funny because like there's no evidence that he actually uh I mean Mike Lee is his colleague in the Senate. They both are, you know, the Utah senators. There's plenty of evidence of that relationship. Not so much evidence of a relationship with Evan McMullen. Um no but somehow this Evan deep McMullin. friendship would require him to would require him to like sacrifice what every normal Republican would do of endorsing your colleague. Like literally Every single other Republican senator who's not from Utah has endorsed Mike Lee, except so Mitt Romney is the only one who hasn't. Well, a poll comes out this week showing that Lee is only up by two points. Now, I don't particularly believe this poll by Dan Jones and Associates. This is a pollster that always is like cartoonishly over stating McMullen's chances. In 2016, this pollster said that McMullen was only two points down behind Trump. He was down 25 points in the end, and he came in third behind Trump and Hillary Clinton. So the pollster is very bad. Like it's it seems to be a poll of Evan McMullen's family and friends usually. But having said that, it's still worrisome. And this one senator was telling me like, We shouldn't have to worry about Utah, and Mitt Romney is putting us in a position where we're having to worry about Utah, and that's just uncool. Um, It should be a bare minimum that you tell people in your state that you believe your party has better answers than the other party. Like, it's such a low bar to meet. I did ask Romney for comment, including about whether he planned to stay a Republican, remind everybody he was the 2012 Republican nominee for president claimed to be severely conservative. Um, he didn't respond to my requests for
0: comment. Oh, that's, a, that's surprising. Surprised he didn't want to speak to you. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you yeah, know, Evan, Evan McMullen is obviously just a fraud. He has no principles. Uh, he, watching him play this game when it came to Roe v Wade where you know he had initially claimed that we couldn't trust Donald Trump to over, you know that he'd overturn it but he would and now you know he he's like slam. I forgot what did he slam the Supreme Court I forgot what he did but it was just some you know slimy unprincipled way to, to approach the issue so- I don't know how anyone could trust him.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I would also say at the time that Mitt Romney said he wasn't going to endorse, I don't know if he could have imagined that Evan McMullin would run as vindictive and vicious of a campaign as he's running. You know, he's calling Mike Lee, who's a constitutional conservative, a constitutional con man. He's spreading conspiracy theories about legitimate questions about the integrity of election to try to spin Mike Lee, who, again, is a very responsible, thoughtful person who takes his duty seriously um, Evan McMullin's going after him with like crazy conspiracy theories. And yeah, in 2016, when he was trying to help Hillary Clinton win by suppressing the Republican vote, he claimed he was doing this because just like Mitt Romney, he was a severe conservative, that he was so pro-life and we couldn't trust Donald Trump to be pro-life. And he would say things like, you know, why won't Donald Trump say he would overturn Roe v. Wade? I would overturn Roe v. Wade. But then when Roe v. Wade was overturned with the Dobbs ruling, he put out this statement about how disconcerting it was and how worried he is and how there are states that might protect unborn life you know, all the way, and we can't have that. And so it, he's... He's
0: not a Utah has a trigger law, I believe, that will ban maybe abortion after six weeks. I think a judge is holding it up. I'm not. I don't exactly know where that is. But I did want to mention you. You uh, you mentioned it, and I wanted to stress that Mike Lee is one of the most serious senators there there is, and has been for years. I mean, he almost in every decision talks about the Constitution. You know, talks about the power of Congress, and 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 wants to thwart executive power, the idea that Mitt Romney, who, and listen, I have respect for people who, who don't go along with their party all the time. Right. I think his stand was kind of, you know, I, I don't know if he meant what he said, whatever it is, but you know, I I don't have a problem with that as much as turning against a colleague that literally exudes the principles that you say we must be saved by, you know, by, by anti-Trumpers or by, the, you know, Society to, to to defend democracy, it just doesn't make any sense that position. It's clearly he's just mad. Uh, you know, he just doesn't he doesn't like being a Republican, right? I mean, well, that's or, or he know, doesn't like being a Republican in Trump's party. Basically, there are
1: people who are just very emotional. And you consumed, think
0: Mitt Romney's emotional?
1: Consumed by their emotions, I absolutely think this man cannot get over his hurt ego that he failed so much in his 2012 bid in a, an eminently winnable race against Barack Obama. I mean, beyond winnable. He seemed to almost sabotage it himself at the end when there was risk that he might win. Um, but he feels embarrassed about it, given that Donald Trump, who rejected you know everything in Romney's approach, was able to win. He seems to be so sore and petty about it. But the other thing is like, he has friends in the Senate. He's, he, he's close friends with Susan Collins. And one of the things that senators were talking about was that if he were to be successful in his effort to keep Mike Lee from winning here, and if that effort meant that Democrats kept control of the Senate, that hurts people like Susan Collins, who's probably more moderate than Mitt Romney, and supposedly his friend. She's up to be chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, and he's working to sabotage the Republican majority. So this is where people are starting to say, not so cute. You know, like they generally let people do their own thing, but they're like, this isn't funny. This isn't charming. This doesn't make any sense. And you're hurting the people that you claim to care about.
0: Who would McMullen even caucus with? I think he just caucus with Democrats.
1: He said he would not vote for McConnell, but he claims he would be independent, but not voting for McConnell in a evenly what, divided.
0: And what is McConnell? McConnell's too MAGA for him.
1: Yeah. McConnell's way too. Way too conservative in America first for him,
0: so I, I hope he's, I hope he gets killed. Like I don't really weigh in on this sort of thing very often in that way, but I just hope he gets killed because he's a fraud. The movement he represents is, is are, most of them are frauds, and uh, they've law they, they are less principled than mo- than most people who have turned to Trump in my opinion, I, so I, I, don't, have, I have no use for him.
1: Utah's a pretty solidly Republican state, and I don't believe this poll. But there is this issue where it would be very embarrassing for Utah itself. Like it'd be hard to take that state seriously if they elected someone like Evan McMullen, who does not really deserve in any way, shape, or form to be a Senator, particularly not from a Republican state. If they were to fall for that, that would be, that would would be embarrassing to the people of Utah.
0: I'm not an expert. Sorry. sorry.
1: I just think they have this thing and I have family who lives there or in-laws who live there. Uh, they feel self-conscious about being conservative and they want to be liked. And they kind of think that maybe this is a way that they could show their um, independence and be liked. Like, I, I have to think that's what's explaining that subset of Republicans who who are thinking about voting for McMullen. But it's just not a very serious- It doesn't
0: seem like a template for a senator from Utah. Those, most of the time, they're pretty soft-spoken, though conservative in the sense they're not sort of you don't throw bombs and McMullen's throwing bombs all the time, right? I mean, he just doesn't seem like he fits the sort of uh soft, <laughs> I don't know how to say, uh, you know, Mormon conservative, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I He's like the, a
1: Mormon Bill Crystal. And Utah does not seem like a state that would want a Mormon Bill Crystal. Mormon He's Bill Like Crystal.
0: The, or like a
1: Mormon Rick Wilson. It just doesn't match. Like the one thing about many people in Utah, and I'm not saying it's not like an intense political environment because it is, but they tend, like you said, to be more respectable in, in public.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. I, I don't buy that poll either. A lot of these polls confuse me, but you know, uh, but we'll see. That's why I don't really, I used to rely on polls quite often in my political punditry, but but I don't anymore. I just don't trust them. And it makes it it just, it it sort of like pulls you into debates and arguments and positions that are unnecessary, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I wish people would just vote their conscience and that they would vote you know, you'd make the argument apart from polling, but I do like to look at people's history of how well they get nice. in a state. And even good pollsters can sometimes have a bad history with like a particular state. But whenever I see a poll from someone saying, like, oh, this person's up eight points, I go right back to that same race four years prior and look at whether they got that race right or how off they were. And then I factor that in. You and know sometimes like sometimes they're off by like literally 15 points. It's embarrassing.
0: You know what's interesting about those polls? When you go back to Real Clear and look at the sort of the entire history of a polling of a race from the beginning, you'll see these huge, huge numbers in the beginning showing Democrats up, you know, 15, 11, things like that. And then they always tend to tighten it up as they get closer. Now, that could be a function of just people paying more attention. I don't know. But it seems to me like they want at the end, you know, first they want, you know, they want to before the, ele- you know, before election day to, Seem more respectable when when people look back and 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 look at their numbers, but I don't know. I just yeah, people should just go vote. I don't know why they care what other people are thinking or how other people are voting.
1: There's this guy Henry Olson who writes at the Washington Post, mm-hmm. and he and I were doing a debate on election integrity this past weekend for a group called the Philadelphia Society. And one of the questions from the audience was about polling and thinking that polling was a way to rig elections, which is something I write about at length in my book, Rigged. Uh, Henry said, there's no evidence that people actually care about polls. like Most people just disregard polls, and he did not think it was a big issue. But I was mentioning that there's this um, TV show, Narcos. You've seen that, right? Narcos, yeah. So in the second Narcos, um, there's this storyline for one of the, for that uh, that the cartel figures out that they can rig elections by rigging polling, and that it'll affect what people think is like within the realm of possibility, and it affects their vote outcome. And I do believe very strongly that voting affects all sorts of dynamics. And I, I think that because...
0: Polling, yeah.
1: Sorry. Polling affects these things. Thank you. Like all summer long before an election, you will be on TV and they'll say, okay, this poll shows X. And then everything you talk about is in the framework of that thing that the polling supposedly shows. So, for instance, in 2020, polling throughout the summer and actually the entire campaign was. Polling shows that only an idiot would think that Donald Trump had any chance of victory. So that's the context in which you're talking about it every night on the news. And he's down 12 points. Like, how could he win? And so it also positions arguments as being more popular or less popular based on how they're tied with these polling numbers. And it does. People do want to vote for a winner. And so they if they don't think that they're in a majority or if they think that something is not going to happen, it does depress their desire to vote. And it can't actually affect who they vote for. And on the margins, these things matter. Like the 2020 election comes down to 43,000 votes across three states. Does bad polling affect these things? Yeah. One of those states was Wisconsin, where the Washington Post claimed in their last poll before Election Day that Biden was going to win by 17 points. He won by less than one. These are... I mean, what is that? That's not a real poll. That's an information operation. And it's, of course, designed to affect people's, like, the Deseret News poll that I was mentioning, and I don't know why Deseret News is working so hard to elect Evan McMullen. They clearly are. They, they've been running like weird pieces endorsing, you know, Mike Lee had a pro-abortion opponent and they were like, a woman would be great in the Senate from Utah. It's like, you're a church-owned paper. They're an LDS church-owned paper. What are they doing? And yet they keep on pushing these stories. And, oh, it's, this race is very tight. Um, they're doing that to help McMullen. I don't think anyone really believes that poll, but it does affect, you know, it's it's something that made the senators in in Washington, D.C. nervous. And when the senators in Washington, D.C. are nervous, it affects how they vote on things, how they handle things. So, yeah, polling makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that polling sort of helps, especially the political press, uh, you know, create a narrative. Right. And then all the questions revolve around the assumptions made from polling. Like I give you an example with Dobbs, right? Dobbs is overturned. Everyone is mad about that, says polling. No, everyone wants to keep Roe v. Wade. And then I noticed all of a sudden all the stories are like about the backlash of Dobbs. Then when you look at the actual polling, nothing's really happening. There is hardly any movement. Republicans are making up ground in every race, but that is like embedded in every story about this race when there's zero evidence that people are super mad about Dobbs and, you know, in the sense of changing the trajectory of elections. Another thing I hate about polling, I have to say this is when people and especially political journalists talk about it on TV, they'll be like, this one is losing by three points. Now he's winning by one point. No one has even cast a vote. No one's losing or winning. This is just some snapshot you've taken of random people arbitrarily picked by you (laughs) That tells you what you want to hear or don't want to hear. So I don't know. I I, I find the whole polling operation annoying, and uh, and I think you're right. I think it does help on the margins. I don't think it's like the the driver, you know, of 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 as you say, rigging elections. I don't actually love that word to say. You know, I think people have some responsibility in this, not to be fooled. But uh, yeah, I think it, it's a pretty big uh, part of it, or it's a you know, it is a part of it. Let's go to another item. And this is not political. I have a personal mm-hmm. story to share and relate to you. And I don't think I have not told you this. So okay. there's someone in my orbit, my limited orbit of uh close uh, family and friends. Are you going to pretend you have friends? <laughs> <laughs> I know actually it's actually a topic I wanted to talk about at one point. Um, so this person is 80 years old and they were, Uh, through email, scammed into allowing someone to get into their bank account. Now, what happened was someone from the bank says, uh, we've overcharged you or someone has overcharged you and we want to give you back that $411, right? So I'm going to explain how this scam works. And uh, I have done some research and apparently this happens to like thousands of people every month. Mm -hmm. So here's what they do. They'll say we will give you back four hundred and eleven dollars. So they get into your account. Uh, the old person's like, "That's great." They're, you know, on the computer, or they call the number and the people pretend to be the bank, um, and then they see in their account that the bank has now given them forty-one thousand one hundred, you know, forty-one thousand one hundred dollars by accident. And they say, I'm going to be fired if my boss finds this out. Can you please just return that $40,000 difference? But what they had done is taken out a loan on your your credit, on the other account, and put it into your account. So this is your own money. Or they had taken, and that's what happened to this person, but in other cases, they will just move. If they see you have another account with money, they will move money into that account or go to your credit card and put money into your account somehow. And then you return that money and then they disappear. So you're out $40,000 It's literally it's horrible. nothing you could do. Yeah. I mean, I think that people who scam the elderly in this way are, you know, after like murder, rapist and child molester are probably the worst people on earth. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like maybe this is a good service announcement. If there are any people out there who might be prone so- to
1: uh, First of all, I'm sorry that happened to your friend. Well,
0: so my friend is a skeptical person like myself. And after the initial bad, you know, initially falling a little bit for it, they they were like, this doesn't make much sense and did not go along with it. So
1: I watched a video where this was, uh, I think it was by the guy who does those glitter bombs.
0: Oh, yeah. I just watched that yesterday. That's a great one. Yeah.
1: And he like tracked down people who were mm-hmm. doing this and uh tried to enact some justice there. But my next door neighbor, one of my next door neighbors is an elderly woman and her son was telling me that he, people call her and she falls for scams like all the time. She is, I think, in you know, some sort of like early stages of some, you know, I don't know if it's dementia or decline right, or some right, kind. Right. And she is, it's very hard for them to monitor. And there is just a completely different ethic about phone calls among certain age sets. And I knew someone who fell for a scam that was like sort of obviously not true. It was that they were told that their son, you know, who barely drinks was in the, was in jail with a DUI and had been in an accident accident. And if there was like money to get him out right now, that would be helpful. And, and, uh, put someone on the phone who claimed that his job was broken and that's why he didn't sound the same or something like that, you know, and it went for a surprisingly long period of time. Um, yeah. it's just horrible.
0: And you know, what they do is I don't have a landline for instance, but they know that a lot of elderly people still use landlines so they, what they do is they call during the day, during the week, never on weekends. So during the day, during the week, retired people are home or, you know, most of the time. And that this is how they, they, uh, they target them. And there are, and, and a lot of these call centers are in India and they are really big business. Like in that video you mentioned, they show these that there are hundreds of people doing this round the clock and they've been doing it for years. Anyway, it's just something uh, that, you know, I just think, people should be aware of if they're not they probably are and most people don't fall for these sorts of things you but wonder the elderly what, do not what the
1: scams will be in 40 years for us? yeah
0: i <laughs> as you know i'm not i'm not that social right so like if if i don't see a name on the phone identifying who's calling me i will never answer it so it's going to be very hard to to get me but um and i rarely answer emails so but you you're very friendly so i worry about you I hope it'll be all right. I it'll be all right.
1: No, but I, I do feel like they are like these generational skip things. Like my parents will answer every phone call that comes into their house. I answer zero of them. But my kids are always like very excited when the phone rings and they run to the phone and they'd love to answer the phone and talk to the people. And I'm like, it's always just robocalls. We, we need a landline for a variety of reasons, but it's just weird. They're weird.
0: Yeah. One day I my realized that I... Yeah. One day I realized like, why am I answering the phone? It's never, it's either bad news, someone bothering me, someone wanting something for me that I don't want to do. Um, so I just, you know, I answer my wife's calls basically. And often those, those calls also in, in, are, are things I don't want to do, but you have to do. Right. But you know, it is. I, uh,
1: I do occasionally like on, on a, a phone accidentally talk to a scammer of some kind and I do enjoy messing with them. You know, asking questions, pretending to fall for it, overreacting, like they'll say <laughs> something is amiss with my social security or something and I will just act hysterical about it just because it's kind of fun to mess with them. You
0: should get you should give them a fake fake so- social number. Right. I have people come to my door. I've moved recently to an undisclosed location and I have people now, which hasn't happened in a long time, coming to my door like Mormons or other maybe they were Seventh-day Adventists, which is one of my least favorite religions, coming to my door. Um so I enjoy talking to those people.
1: I mean speaking as someone who's had a long standing beef with Methodists, this might be a weird question but like why would you have such a problem with Seventh Day Adventists?
0: <laughs> We've had problems in the past when I was in Denver. We've we, they are they're, aggressive. like, they're aggressively anti like drinking and they are constantly um they want laws to sort of limit So I had written a column, it's probably a little boring, but I've written a column once about how we should obviously allow people in the Denver parks to drink wine when they're watching uh, a symphony play or having picnics or whatever because they're doing it anyway they're putting it in their in their you know water bottles and things like that so why can't we just be honest about it and there was like a concerted effort to try to get me fired by the seventh local Seventh day adventists <laughs> and uh <laughs> I, I, had co- I had quoted uh, benjamin franklin saying something nice about beer and they they had said that i made up the quote and i'm not sure if it was uh a real quote or not in the end, but I obviously I didn't make it up. I would found it somewhere, but anyway, they, they were very aggressive towards me and I didn't appreciate it. And now I've sworn I've put them on the bottom of my list <laughs> of religions. They are my Amalekites for anyone familiar with the uh old Testament. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anyone. I just, I'm not a fan.
1: Okay.
0: Well, finally, okay. let's turn to culture. Do you have anything? I know you've been busy again. Um. Did you I go did to see, see a, any movies?
1: I did see a movie with my kids. We went to a theater that was nearly empty, a cineplex with like 25 theaters.
0: Can I quickly say something before you go forward? Mm-hmm. I hate being late for movies. So I don't know if you've seen Annie Hall, but if I miss like the preview, I'm out. I won't stand on a line. I won't be late. But I so I rush my wife to go see a movie I, whenever it was. I don't remember the movie. And they're we run in there. I'm like, we're not going to get a good seat. I'm going to have to be in the front. And I go in and there's no one in there. And this has been my experience for like the last four years, I think.
1: Yeah, it cracked me up. Like you, you could reserve seats when you bought the tickets. And right. it was just a theater full of like there's no need to reserve seats because... That's Nobody the would be taking um, But it was See How They Run, which is a new movie that's kind of a redo of Agatha Christie's Mousetrap. And it was fine. It was good. I can't really say much about it. I have no negative feelings about it. I even laughed a few times. Mm, I like good. whodunits. Uh It was well done. It was fun to look at. It had a nice cast, but it was kind of, you know, neither here nor there. I did like that I could take teenagers to it and it was safe. Maybe like other than the murders, spoiler alert, other than the murders, it was very suitable for children and like one cuss word.
0: One of my favorite things you do is give away something and then say spoiler alert. after. (laughs) um
1: it's horrible I'm so sorry it's
0: okay it's okay I think that that's okay I, everyone assumed it would be a murder but I when I was a kid I had cable pretty early and I remember being like nine maybe and I watched Peter Ustinov is that how you pronounce his name and mm-hmm. I think Death on the Nile or one of those Agatha Christie and movies and I became obsessed with them like I won I watched everything I could find with Agatha Christie I was I was a big fan Read, I remember reading a couple of the books. Um, So that's sort of a movie appeals to me. Like Knives Out, did you see that one? No. Kind of a similar feel, yeah. Okay, I I have nothing really except one uh, book I wanted to recommend, which is uh, Wolf Hall by uh, Hilary Mantel. It's uh, about Thomas Cromwell. It's like historical fiction. She died a couple of weeks ago. I think this won a bunch of big prizes for literature. And um, there's a TV show, which I hear is good, though I cannot recommend because i have not watched it that was on bbc and uh just think it's a it's a worthwhile novel for anyone interested in that sort of thing before we go i just wanted to uh, share already that we
1: sorry we i told you i went to the afghan wigs right
0: yeah we talked about that was that good loved it mark
1: went and saw sunny day real estate
0: oh wow they're still around
1: loved it he said it was one of the best shows he's been to in forever Mm -hmm.
0: I have to say, I remember them. They were a sub-pop band in the early 90s. I do not remember their music very much, but I will go and check it out after this uh, this uh, podcast. Um, so now we have our outro music. You gave us a couple of bands. I could find something, mm-hmm. Sunny Day Real yeah. Estate. But before we leave, I wanted to, uh, if anyone has any recommendations music-wise, culture-wise, or has anything to ask us, they can email us at radio at com.
1: David, are we going to do one of those shows that we've done before where people ask questions and we answer them like a like a ask us anything kind of show? Yeah. So so people can send in those questions.
0: They should. Maybe you can also tweet that out to your following. And I can, too. But you have obviously a a a very large following. I have uh...
1: the world's best Twitter following.
0: Truly delightful group of people. They're so annoying. It's like once sometimes you retweet my stuff and they're like, oh Molly, thank you so much for this. Everything you say here is true. I'm like, I know I, I love, love this. I tweet.
1: Yeah. I tweet out Federalist articles all the time and I get credit for them as if I have written them. People are like, oh, this is one of your best yet, Molly. I'm like, did you not see the byline said Tristan Justice or whatever? Like nobody sees the byline. They think if I tweet it out that I've written it, and then they're very complimentary. I love it. It's great.
0: When I go and, you know, spend time with my family, this is, oh, Molly, she's, you know, why can't you agree with more with Molly? Molly this, Molly that. Gonna get a little sick of it. Yeah.
1: Well, my sister is that to me. She loves you. So there you go.
0: Your sister is great.
1: She is great. I love her so much. She's awesome.
0: Yeah. I'm joking. I'm not sick of it. I agree with you most of the time. Though we do argue. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're not. Yeah. Um, not as
1: much as you are. <laughs>
0: Okay. I'll well, be a lover of freedom and anxious for the fray, and we'll speak next week.
1: See you Bye. next week.